Welcome to Momentum Church. Well, if you would, go ahead and have your seats today. We're going to get right into the Word of God this morning. And if you're a guest with us, we've been ministering out of the place of John, out of the place of John. And so if you would turn over to the Gospel of John in the New Testament, we'll get started. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, last week... Last week, we were gathered together, and we began to look at how Jesus began to gather his disciples, and the first disciples. You saw John the Baptist had Andrew and John, John the one that wrote this gospel, as his disciples, and they see Jesus. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of of the world. Does that excite anybody that he comes to take away this? I mean, think about the ramifications of sin in your own personal life. And now this one has come to take away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist points John the Apostle and Andrew to Jesus, and they begin to follow Jesus. Next thing you know, John, rather Andrew, he goes and finds his brother Peter. I love Peter. And he tells him, We have found the Messiah. And so the disciples, this group is starting to grow. That's exciting. As a church planter, I remember years ago when we started to grow, you know. It was just two families that came to launch the church. It took a couple months before we, you know, it was like, hey, we want to talk to you about Jesus. And I swear they heard in the back of their head, and eat your brains. <laughs> no, we don't. We just want to talk to you about Jesus. But it grew. Well, church is growing here. You know, the, the disciples are starting to expand in number. And then the next day, Jesus finds a man by the name of Philip, and he says to him, follow me. I told you last week, Philip comes to Christ as a disciple and instantly becomes an evangelist. He instantly starts to, to tell a friend. So Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and gives Nathaniel the invitation to follow Jesus. And here's what I love. Jesus looks to Nathaniel and says, follow me, greater things. You think what you've seen today because Jesus had a prophetic understanding of what Nathaniel was going through and spoke life to him and knew what Nathaniel was thinking even in that moment. You think that's a big deal? You just watch. You are going to see greater things. Man, how many want to see greater things in their life? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's not just preacher talk. It's easy. Well, the preacher's just trying to get people hyped. Yes! Greater things are better than lesser things. Amen? God doing something in and through us is awesome. And Nathaniel has this invitation, follow me, you're going to see greater things. And I, and I think when I've always thought back to Jesus bringing his disciples, how many thought this? Jesus went and he looked at somebody and said, follow me. And he went to somebody else and he said, follow me. And he went to somebody else and he said, that's, that's how I always envisioned Jesus getting his disciples. But we just saw that's not how it was exactly. I mean, we would think that, but we can see that even in the calling of his disciples, it was a partnership. He called Philip, but Andrew went and got Peter. Amen? And then he went and he called, Peter went and got, or Philip went and got Nathaniel. John the Baptist pointed out his disciples and and so there was a partnership in this gathering of disciples. And how many know that Jesus today is still inviting disciples to come and follow him? Amen? 
He's still inviting people, just like today in the baptismal waters, to come and see what this life in Christ is all about. I've told you that John is about believing in Jesus, the whole book, believing in Jesus, that you might have life. And so experiencing the life of God, believing in God, Jesus, and experiencing the life of God. And so he's still inviting disciples to come and follow, and he's still declaring to them, when he says, come, he's still saying, and you're going to see greater things in life. Do you need a greater thing to happen in your marriage today? Yeah, it's going to happen through Jesus. You need your businessman. You need greater things to happen in your finances. You need some wisdom on a decision this week. I want to speak that out. There's some businessman in this room right now. You have a decision to make this week regarding your business. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, get ready for the greater things. Come on, somebody. Amen? Yeah, get ready for the greater things. Whatever it might be in your life. Health. Get ready for the greater things. God is still inviting us into the principles of his kingdom so that we can live those things out. And spiritual victory and deliverance. That's a greater thing. I've been bound so long to so much, I didn't think I could get free. Was well, a disciple, guess what? It's an invitation into greater things. And deliverance and victory and freedom, that's a greater thing. Come on, somebody. Amen? That's a, that's a greater thing. And you may not be excited, but that person here struggling is. Amen? And so Jesus is still inviting people. And so today, the topic, the subject of what I want to preach on is an invitation into the amazing life of a disciple. An invitation into an amazing, the amazing life of a disciple. We see right now, Jesus has five of them. And that's going to continue to grow to 12. But it has continued throughout the last 2,000 years. And it includes you And it includes me. We have an invitation into the amazing life of being a disciple of Christ. I want you to demystify it. Because so often we'll think of those 12 disciples walking and following Jesus and having communion with Jesus, breaking bread. Fish. I took my mother and father to daddy's fish fry over in Ackworth Friday night. Oh, those old people can eat. Come on. But having fish with Jesus... It's, all, it's the ultimate buffet because he can just keep making more. No, I'm teasing. But I want you to stand your feet. We're going to get into the word today. As we see what this invitation to be a disciple or what it looks like that we're invited into. John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, The third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So Jesus' family, it looks like, and his disciples, come on, let's come to this wedding. And so they go to Cana to be a part of this wedding. This is a busy few days from the time these disciples started. I mean, literally, it looks as if through this scripture here, Nathaniel had just come to faith the day before. It was just the day before that Jesus kind of saw into his heart. As I told you last week, I believe he was reading um, the passage of Scripture that talked about the angels going up and down the stairway. And that's an amazing thing to see. And Jesus is that stairway that connects earth to heaven. And that's why you can see greater things. And Jesus looked to Nathaniel and said, that you think this is a big deal that I knew that? Guess what? You're going to see greater things. Here's what's neat. Nathaniel's from Cana. That, that's his home area. So it's so amazing that he hears this message given to him, this promise, and the fulfillment of the promise of seeing greater things literally begins right in Nathaniel's home. I want to claim that 
for you all. Amen? As disciples of Christ, that the miracle of seeing greater things begins right in your home. Amen? And so we can see what's going on here. And you're like, Pastor, stop preaching. Keep reading because I'm standing. I get it. I stand for two services. John 2 Verse 3 and 4 says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, this is, you all know the first miracle that's taken place. Pastor Stephanie so eloquently has told us through the years that that is a miracle to keep that family from embarrassment. To have a wedding party and not have enough supply to last the party. And it looks like this is about the first day or so. And to be able to do that would be an embarrassment to the family. And so what a neat thing to think that Jesus would do his first miracle because he wants to bless a family. You can tell by the context of this as we finish today, he wasn't really ready in a sense to do a bunch of miracles in front of a bunch of people, you know. But man, he wanted to bless his family because of the lack that they had. He wanted to be able to be a provider in that moment. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? He says, my hour hasn't come yet. It wasn't time just yet for the fullness of his ministry to take off. And so he's like, what what does this do with me? And here's what I love. Kind of the faith that Mary had in that moment. Mary always knew he was divine. I don't believe that he did little miracles here and there throughout his childhood. Not until the Holy Spirit came upon him. We studied that a couple weeks ago. But now God's about to do something. And she looks to Jesus. And she may have looked at Jesus with faith, thinking you can do a miracle. It may have just been, he's always been industrious. He's been that boy that can get things done. And she just looks to him and says, hey, what are you going to do? You know, we got to do something about this. They have no wine. He said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. Now watch this. John 2, 5, there was an expectation in the mother's heart that Jesus was going to figure this out. Wasn't exactly sure what he would do, I bet. But he's going to figure this out. His mother said to the servants, say servants, Do whatever he tells you. She said to the servants of that party, do whatever he tells you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, stir our hearts today in the the aspect of what this invitation to be a disciple looks like. Not just the blessing that happens to us, but Lord, the blessing that changes the world when we do respond to that invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have your seats if you would. You can see here in this passage, you can see that there is an opportunity given to serve the Lord. There's an opportunity in this moment to be able to see a miracle, but they didn't realize it. But these servants were about to see a miracle at the end of their own hands. They're invited into this process. Jesus, he could have just done it, you know. But no, 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 he involved servants. He involved other people in this miracle. And it seems like that's his MO always. God, I want you to do this. And then he's going to tell you, well, then you do this too. And then what you do, he puts the power on that. And then God does that work. And it seems as if even in the calling of his disciples and even in this first miracle, he's modeling to us partnership, an invitation to work alongside, an invitation to work with the things of Jesus as he produces this miracle. And I'm going to tell you this, you can't imagine what God will do when you respond to his request to serve. You, you just don't even know what can happen when you just respond to a simple request. Whatever he says to you to do, do. Whatever he says to you to do, pastor's telling you, do 
It's powerful. It begins the work of what God is going to do in that moment and how powerful it is that he invites us on that journey with him. It's an invitation into the amazing life of a disciple. And I I can think of an amazing disciple. When I was a little boy, I was 10 years old, um, and Blanche Snyder, she was a teacher at our church for fourth and fifth grade boys. And I was just this little guy, and Blanche was so faithful to serve, and little did that Blanche know, we called her sister. How many came from a church back in the day, everybody was brother and sister? You know why? Because that way you don't have no names, that's all that is. Hi there, brother. Hi there, sister. <laughs> you know, but um, but no, Sister Snyder. She she had this whole classroom of boys, and little did she know that this little rambunctious boy would <laughs> would, would pack everything that he owned in a 1984 Buick Skyhawk and move eight hours away to begin seeing greater things in his life when he was 19. Little did you know, I'm that little boy. I mean, I, I, that lady, I gave her gray hair. I, I, I was a mess in that class, but Blanche, she just taught into us boys, and she just taught us into us boys, and little did she know that's what would happen as 30 years ago this March, just in a couple of weeks, it'll be 30 years ago, that I accepted the invitation of Jesus to pursue him in ministry, so, and I began to see greater things at the end of my hand, not because of me, 19-year-old kids, guess what? They're not fully developed. How many have a 19-year-old child or around, you know what I'm saying? Mine aren't, I, I, and I wasn't either. But God gave me this opportunity to go serve a man by the name of Steve Rambler in a church called Church on the Rock. That sounds like a church birthed in the 80s. And it was, I think it was birthed in 1989, Church on the Rock. Whoa! No. Um, and then two years later, three years later, I go to work there for him. And within about a month of being there, people are going, hey, Pastor Ross, I'm just an intern. I'm just here for a year to serve. I brought my guitar. I'm going to lead worship. Anything the pastor tells me to do, I'm going to do. But, but I'm not a pastor. And it freaked me out. And I ran to Pastor Steve. And I said, Pastor. I said, they're starting to call me Pastor Ross. He looked deep in my eyes and he said, live up to it. That's all he said. Live up to it. Man, I've been trying for 30 years to live up to the call of God in a sense, you know. But Blanche didn't know that when she was pouring into that rambunctious kid. She did not know that. And when I was there in Wrightsville, Pennsylvania, the year I was there, we quadrupled as a church. We grew. I, I, I mean, I got a taste and an insatiable hunger for church planting, evangelism, and creating church systems. It just, as a young man, it just got all over me as God invited me into the invitation of being a disciple of his, a servant of his. And you may say, but Pastor Ross, I'm not called to be a minister. Yes, you are. I say it often. How many ministers are at Momentum Church? Today, there'll be a little over 300 ministers at Momentum Church because every single person, clear down to Zayamara, all the way, are ministers of the gospel. Amen? Why? Because we're all disciples. Jesus will look at every single one of us and tell us something to do. And like Mary said, do what he says. And then watch what happens when we do. And so, yeah, you may not be called to be a part of the fivefold ministry, that leadership of pastor, prophet, evangelist, apostle, and teacher. I get that, you know. But every one of us is called to be a fire that lights other people's fires for the kingdom of God. Amen. And so all Sister Snyder was doing was just teaching a classroom full of hyper fourth and fifth grade boys. That was it. 
That was her invitation into the amazing life of being a serving disciple. Not one that just calls herself a Christian, but one who says, okay, now, God, what would you have me to do? And the Lord would say unto her, take care of hyper boys. How many of you, if you got that call, be like, no, Jesus, you know? But Sister Snyder, she didn't say no. And she took that next step. And um, man, I, I'm going to tell you right, you're giving that same invitation. I'm going to throw a thing up on the screen. And the reason why is because this link that's on the screen, you can scan it with your phone. You have permission to do it. We'll throw it up later on in the service too. But you can scan it. But what this is, it's just a list of ministries in this church, places that you can put your hands to to make a difference. That's all it is. And I want you to know, by the time we end this service, I pray that God will compel you to partner with him to do the work of the Lord and to see miracles take place at the ends of your hands. Amen? I love that that's what happens. And that these miracle, this miracle that we see in Scripture, it didn't happen by the hands of the Lord. It didn't. This miracle that we see in this Scripture, it didn't happen by the hands of the disciples yet. It happened just by the servants of the feast. That's all. Just the servants of the feast. They responded. It happened through the work of servants in response to the request of Jesus. Everything that God wants to do in life and in this world happens through the work of servants that respond to the request of Jesus. Too many Christians love to be Christians, but they hate to be used by Jesus. Now, they'll pray and say, God, use me. And like Blanche Snyder, he said, go take care of these hyper boys. Well, no, no, not like that, Jesus. I, I love it. I love it around here because a lot of times people will come and they'll tell us the ministries that they have. That happens. We're not really a church plant anymore. We've been around 17 years we moved here to plant this. But through the years, we'd have people come and I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. And okay, can you help me today clean these toilets? Well, I don't do that. I mean, they wouldn't quite say it that way, but those kinds of tasks that seem menial. But no, I want to be the head of this ministry. I want to be the head of that ministry. No, can, can we just be servants? And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I just was young and dumb trying to be pleasing to Jesus. And I can remember my pastor I worked for. He goes, Ross, you go to the platform with the same intensity that you go and fix a toilet in this church. Because the church I pastored at for a long time, until we were over 500 people, I was the associate pastor and the maintenance guy. And I'd preach on a Sunday. There was literally a Sunday. I'd preach on a Sunday, had to go remove a toilet from the floor because somebody got something down in it that you could not get out. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> there was a miracle happen at the end of my hand. No. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. <laughs> But that's, that's, that's a powerful thing that it's Jesus' mother saying to those servants, do whatever he tells you. And listen, that right there, that statement, do whatever he tells you, that statement is the precursor of a miracle. What is he telling you to do in your marriage? What's he telling you to do at school? What's he telling you to do at home? What's he telling you to do in your work? What's he telling you to do? Do you have that kind of discipleship relationship with Jesus to where you're just listening? Like, what do you want me to do, Jesus? I'll respond to what you want me to do. And that right there will always be the precursor to the miracle in your marriage, the precursor to the miracle in your finances, the precursor to the miracle in your, your deliverance, the precursor, doing what he says 
for you to do. And as an invitation to disciples into that amazing life of a disciple, he will always have our hands occupied doing something for his kingdom. Amen? You wonder why sometimes we don't have miracles in our life? Where are you in that process of putting your hands to what he said to put your hands to? Watch this. John 2, verse 6 through 8. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. This is a big party. So every one of them would have to wash their hands before eating and all those things, okay? And so this is a big, big containers. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. Now listen, just water, that's all this was. Just pour water into these large vessels. And they did. And and, and that just speaks to me so powerfully. Because sometimes at 19 years old, still, I'm not even saying 19, still today, I'm like, God, what do I have to give? What do I have to offer? Every Saturday night, I go to bed with my my mind full of, Lord, tomorrow morning, how in the world are you going to use me? And and I'm not saying that like, how are you going to use me? It's like fear and trembling a little bit. Lord, what are you going to say to your people, please? I just want to respond to what you want me to do and respond to what you want me to say. And, And you know what? All these years, water's been enough. All these years, I don't just, Lord, this is what I have, and it's yours. And you may feel like, Ross, I don't have any talents to give the kingdom. I I don't have any abilities. I I, I don't have much money to give. I don't have this. I don't have that. Jesus would tell you today, water's enough. Amen? That He doesn't ask for more than you have. He just asks for what you have. Water's enough. And so naturally, and I said this a few weeks ago, you can see something happen here that's naturally supernatural. Dude, when I went to the pulpit to preach, and that preacher, I don't know what was his problem. I'm there two weeks, and he's like, you ready to preach? No. I haven't been to Bible college. I'm wet behind the ears. I might get up there and be like, love Buddha or something. You know, no, no, I'm teasing. But I, I was worried. And he's like, you got this. I didn't have this. I didn't. It was awful. I, I had the Forrest Gump of ending, endings. Like, I, I, I finished in about 12 minutes. You know, like, I wish, that sounds anointed, Ross. I wish we went back to, no. I finished about 12 minutes and was like, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> walked off the platform, and Pastor Steve walked up there and ad-libbed for 30 minutes. Because this is an old school Pentecostal church. You don't preach an hour, you're not worth your salt, you know. And I preached 12 minutes. Not salty at all. <laughs> and he got up there and he preached fire. And it was just like, how in the world? He was in his mid-30s. He'd been doing it since he was about 17. But still, it was just like, what in the world? I did that over and over. Multiple times that year. And then all of a sudden, it just started clicking. It started clicking, you know? I started seeing results. I started seeing people get saved. And lives changed. And I found that my gifting was evangelism. And got out in the community. And the church started growing. And But man, that pastor gave me an opportunity. One day, Brian, how would you like this? I'm there leading worship. And he walks up back then. Remember back in the day, people would sit in chairs up here? Always felt weird. And I have ticks, and I hated it because I'd I'd be wanting to tick. Uh, I I can't tick in front of people, you know? So you're trying to control yourself. Don't raise your eyebrows. Don't jack your jaws, you know? (laughs) But he's back there, and I'm leading worship celebrate Jesus, celebrate, like that old stuff, you know, (laughs) 
he walks up and gets in my ear. And he goes, you got a word. He had this voice, you got a word, brother. And I look, and I'm, celebrate Jesus. And he walks off the platform, and he sits down, and, or stands over there by his seat, and he's standing, and he looks at me, he's like, what in the world? Talk about water. That's all I got is water. And man, from then on, I had a set of notes in my Bible, every church service, you know. But afterwards, he told me, you got to be ready anytime. You got to be ready for a word anytime, you know. But man, all I had was water. I mean, it, some scary times as a young pastor, you know. But it was naturally supernatural. It's like, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to respond. And next thing you know, the anointing of God started getting on stuff. And it went from just water to wine, you know. That's how it's going to be in your life. You're going to doubt yourself. You're going to doubt the time that you have. I don't have enough time. Okay, give that water of time to God that you have. It's whatever it might be, some. Sacrifice. And give some and watch it turn to wine. Watch it be something that brings the satisfaction of, or the satisfaction, is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah, satisfaction. The satisfaction in people's lives of what they need, you know? Touch those people. Do a work in people's lives. So my question to you is, what are you pouring? What are you pouring? As I said, Pastor, I don't have much. I don't have much time. I don't have much money. I don't have much talent. Okay, it doesn't take much. It just takes water. That's all. But that's all God needs to do a miracle. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. And so Sister Snyder, she didn't realize that she was pouring into this 10-year-old kid. She just was pouring every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, just pouring, and she didn't realize it. A year later, a group of men, they have an organization called the Royal Rangers. It's a part of the Assemblies of God. It's like Boy Scouts. But like, like real, real strong Jesus Boy Scouts. You know what I'm saying? Called Royal Rangers. And my neighbor man, Ron Luttrell, he would take me to, Boy Scouts, or to, to Royal Rangers at this Assemblies of God church. That's where Amy went to church. I didn't know that then. It was years later I found that out. But man, that, that, that's where I would go. And men like Ron Luttrell, my neighbor, and the Hughes brothers, Ron and Jack, who both were Vietnam vets, th- th- when you talked to them, you thought, ooh, they will tear me up. But they were soft and loving and gentle and strong and scary. And they've since passed, both of them. They passed before I moved here. But those Hughes brothers poured into my life. Men like Jim Browning just poured into my life. Men like Mike Stentz, who years later, I consider his daughter like a goddaughter of Amy and I's, you know. But men like Mike Stentz, who just put up with all my craziness. And they just kept pouring, and they kept pouring. A few more years later, I go to Mansfield Christian High School. And Bible teachers like Gary Koheiser and Russell Enzer, even though I was corrected constantly, constantly for horseplay, talking, and believe it or not, fighting. When I was a kid, I had Napoleon Syndrome. I was five foot two in 10th grade. I mean, I, was, I, w- I, I would climb you. To prove something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not saying I won anything ever. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'll try, you know. 
but I was in trouble all the time. But those guys poured the love of the word of God into me as they taught scripture and brought it to life to us students. And yes, I was rambunctious, but there was something going on in my ears. I was hearing how this word can be applied and how it can be lived out. And man, Gary and Russell, to this day, I still honor them. I love it. Russell, I think in his early 80s now, and he and I are big Facebook friends. And there's times he speaks into my life even to this day. But all they were doing was just pouring. That was it. After high school, I did. I backslid for about six months. Ran from God hard for six months. Realized, what am I doing? I know what God, I've seen too many good things in my life to run from the Lord. And so I rededicated my life. And four months after returning to the Lord, March of 92 is when Pastor Steve invited me to come work for his church in Pennsylvania. That invitation to serve. A couple years later, I'm 21 years old, and Pastor Tom Blair, that name might sound familiar because Pastor Corey Blair is Tom Blair's son. I was with Pastor Blair about 11 years as his assistant, and Corey's been with us. It'll be 11 years this September, and then I'm going to fire him. I figure that's good, right, Corey? No, I'm teasing now. But man, Tom, Pastor Blair, he would call me. I'd be working for Ron Luttrell, that neighbor man. Because now I'm an evangelist, and I'm traveling and preaching. And when I couldn't be on the road, if I didn't have bookings, Pastor Ron Luttrell would say, come on, plumb with me. And so I'd do plumbing with him. And, and, and he went to Mansfield first. And next thing you know, I get invited to come preach. I'd be working for, past, for Ron, and I would get a call. It was always like Wednesday at 4 in the afternoon. Hey, Ross, this is Pastor Blair. Can you preach? No, he'd say, do you got a word, brother? You got a word for tonight? Can you come preach? I'd lie. Yeah, I got a word. But, you know, Steve had poured, so I knew, I knew how to be ready all the time. Let's go. And so I'd go preach to their adult Wednesday night service as a 21-year-old. Again, hadn't been to Bible college yet. That was years later. But he gave me a chance. He poured into me. A few months after doing that four or five times, he invites me to come on to the staff at the bequest of his board and himself. Guess who was on that board, guys? Guess who? Ron Latrell, Ron Hughes, Jack Hughes, and Mike Stentz, and Pastor. Those guys had been sewing into my life since I was 10 years old, pouring, not knowing. I was in trouble constantly. Climbed the church. We would climb into the rafters. We found a hole, and we would climb over the service on Wednesday nights because they would always go on because they're a Pentecostal church. They keep going long. And then we'd climb over, and we'd look at people and laugh at people. He's the one right here. Get in trouble for it. But those men had poured into me for 11 years at that point. And now they're inviting me to be one of their pastors. The night of 9-11, the next night I preached. Pastor preached 9-11, I preached 9-12. Or, yeah, 9-12. I got finished preaching, and Ron Latrell walks up, and he says to me, he says, Ross, he goes, you've always been my neighbor, boy. Today you became my pastor. Hmm. All he was doing was just pouring into my life. That's all he did. Didn't know what was happening with that water. He just kept pouring. And then I got that opportunity to serve that historic church in Mansfield, Ohio. Found in 1927. I had that opportunity to serve them for 11 years. And they planted this church. Yeah, I planted it, but it was from the finances of people that loved us in our ministry. It was from people like Mike and Jack, people like Ron. Ron had passed. I'm sorry, Ron Luttrell. Ron Hughes had passed by that point. Mm. Jesus said to the servants, verse 7, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Do you see that? Fill, 
draw, give. Fill, draw, give. Commentators and theologians will say they don't believe the miracle actually happened until it was started to be poured out at the end. They were filled with water, it says. They drew it. They believe it was water as they drew this. Many commentators believe that it wasn't until they poured it that it became wine. Same way with you. I just have water. I don't have much. But as you serve the master's request, a miracle manifests at the end of your hand. God does some incredible things. Somewhere between the drawing of the water and the pouring of the wine, the miracle took place. John 2, verse 9 through 10. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And then after people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. You've done that before. Don't tell me you have it. No, but you have kept the good wine until now. You saved the best for last. How powerful. John 2, verse 11. This is the first of the signs, his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So his disciples are watching this miracle happen, and it causes them to be entrusted to Jesus. And, and this is the first of those miracles that manifests his glory. In other words, who God is in all his power and presence is seen in that moment. That's what I want as a church. Don't you want that as a church? Who God is in all his power and presence to be seen in your home, to be seen here, to be seen in our children. Come on. To be seen in our youth. That's what kept me when I backslid for six months was I had seen the presence and power of God too many times that I couldn't stay gone too long. I hungered for it. I longed for it. That's what we want. Amen? And so when Jesus' pers person and nature was seen by his actions, the disciples believed and trusted him. Just remember this. Check this out. It was the action of just some servants responding to the request of Jesus that opened the eyes of these five men that would literally change the world. And I'm not going to say I've changed the world by no means. I've done a little part of changing the world. Amen? So have you as we've partnered together here in this city. And so have I a little bit with different people as we've worked together the last 30 years. But it was Blanche, as a servant, who opened my eyes to what's possible. It was those men I've referred to today that opened my eyes to what's possible. And because of that, that miracle began to take place in my life. And because of that, I've served him, and I've tried to make a difference. But it was their servanthood that produced that wine. Amen? And that wine was so good. That last one, like, my backsliding, everything I was into, just couldn't taste as sweet just wasn't as good. I got a couple kids right now making some bad decisions. I didn't plan to say this. I never thought I'd be that pastor. Engaged in my kids' lives so much. Not judgmental, not ugly. Just try to live the word. Just try to... But you know what? We all go through that, don't we? But I know Barbara's work in their lives. That wine will taste good and they'll come back. I know Corey's work in their lives. That wine will taste good and they'll come back. I know Todd Hall. Where are you? Todd's not Pastor Todd Hall. But he's an armor bearer of this house and the work he did in our kids' lives. That wine will taste good and they'll come back to Jesus. 
It may take longer than six months like it did me, but it's going to happen. Why? Because we're invited in to be a servant of the kingdom. We're invited in to this amazing life of the disciple. We put our hands to do the work that God calls us to do. Miracles take place at the ends of those hands. I want miracles to take place at the ends of your hands. My kids will be a miracle because you have your hands involved through the years in their lives. Amen? Amen. I got to get some composure. Start. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm at. Oh, I got you. It was the actions of Blanche Schneider and those various men in my life that opened my spiritual eyes to what is possible when we live our lives responding to the Lord. In John 2, verse 12 through 17, it kind of takes a little shift, but it all comes together. So watch this. Don't want to lose you. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Some of the, the, the synoptic gospels, this house of prayer, or in a sense, a house of worship. Don't, 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 don't make it about yourself. Don't make it a house of trade. Think trade is transactional, right? So church is transactional. It's all about me. No, it's not. No, it's not. Church is not all about you. Stop making it, you money changer. <laughs> Stop making it about you. Amen? It's not a house of trade. It's not a house of transaction where I go and I get mine on, whatever that might be. No, it's a house of worship and service and prayer and, and bringing up the next generations and changing lives and making an impact on other people that are showing up. Just like marriage, if I'm submitted to Amy and I look out for her best, and she submits and she looks out for my best, we both come out of that stronger. Show up at church going, who am I going to serve today? What am I going to do? Who am I, where am I going to pour today? Amen? Don't let it be transactional. Don't let it be a house of trade. Come on. I, that's not in the notes. I've never even heard that preached before. That's freaking good. Yeah, you can thank Jesus for me stepping on toes. That's all right. Don't let it be a house of trade. Amen? Lord, help me not forget that in second service. Um, <laughs> and so I love this too, and this has nothing to do with the teaching, but I just love it that he, he drives the animals out. But if you can see this, he, he pours out the coins of the money changers. Sometimes we get the view that he's beaten everybody, and, and he was strong but meek. There was strength and restraint. He could have. He's a carpenter. He could have whooped them. But I, just, I never saw that before until this week when I was reading this, and I was like, oh, that's neat, God, how you just... You, reach, you treat everything the way it needs to be treated in such a neat way. He says, take these things. Do not make them my house a house of trade. And it says, his disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. If you look in Psalms 69.9, that was a prophecy of Jesus, that the zeal for the house of the Lord would consume the Messiah. And we can see this zeal. And I want that to be in his disciples. Don't, don't we follow in his footsteps? So if he had zeal, we should have zeal for the house of the Lord. Zeal for the house of the Lord is at the heart of God. And I just want to say, I love that we just saw a miracle take place in this story. But next thing you know, you see a cleansing take place. A cleansing. 
of the house, to, to, to purify the house. And I just want to say it this way. You can't desire to see the miraculous in your life, but not be okay with Christ's cleansing work in your life, his sanctifying work, his setting you apart for his purpose. Sanctification isn't just, I'm holy, I'm sanctified. What are you doing for the kingdom? Oh, nothing. You're not sanctified. Sanctification is tied to the temple. It's tied to worship. This item that grabs that coal and sets it over on this altar, you sanctify that item. You set it apart as holy, that tool, if you will, for the purpose of the work of the Lord, okay? We are now those vessels that do the work of the Lord. So that's why we don't get like self-righteous and look down our nose at people and think we're okay. Being, oh, I'm sanctified. I don't smoke, you know, cuss, drink, or chew, and I don't date girls who do, so I must be better than that person over No! What do you do for the kingdom? What has he separated you apart for? Do you have zeal for his house? Not zeal for Momentum Church. Oh, Pastor Ross is just trying to get people to volunteer. Yes, for the kingdom, not Momentum. We're just 659 Arnold Mill. It's just a very small part of the kingdom. But if you put your hands to the kingdom's work, missionaries will be birthed out of this house. Children and evangelists and preachers and other servants of the gospel will go from this house to the ends of the earth. That's worth it. Amen. That's wine. That's water becoming wine. So zeal for the house of the Lord. And the twofold truth can be found in this zeal for the house of the Lord. The first is that you are the house of the Lord. You're a temple of God now. The Bible tells us that. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then the second is zeal for his church. Zeal for his church. Now listen, not just the building, but the work of the temple. The work of the temple. These men had made the house of the Lord about their gain, not about ministry to people. Jesus, when he did this in the temple, it was him asserting his authority over the temple by cleansing it. He was, this is my house. I have zeal for this house. And I'm cleansing it and setting it in order to do the work of God like it was intended to be used. That was his house. And guess what? Everybody tap yourself right here. This still is his house. Amen? If you're a believer, this is still his house. Now, I want to ask you, does Jesus have permission to have authority in your life? Does he have permission to come in and do a work to move us from transactional living for the kingdom it's about me to literally being a servant of the, of, the, of the temple, servant of the Lord, zeal for the house of the Lord. I want to put that slide back up. You can scan it. We'll make it easy on you if you don't like to scan stuff. As you leave that door right there, there's a table set up out there, and you'll be able to talk to a representative out there today about where can I serve. A lot of times people think when serving, they're going to be locked in for the next five years. No. These disciples didn't know what was next. One day God's telling them to do this. Next day God's telling them to do that. But they just were following, you know. I just want to challenge you. As you scan that, you'll see different areas of ministry in this church. I would say if you're a Christian and you go to this church, don't just be a Christian. Be a disciple. Follow and serve him. Amen? Be a disciple. Follow and serve him. I've told you I'm going to say this 100 times this year. Christians, they serve. And what I told you I would say is that's what Christians do. Amen? Aren't you glad a Christian did that however many years ago that walked down to your story of life change? Yes, you are, because you're drinking that wine now. And oh, it's good. I'm going to close up. Verse 18, so the Jews said to Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Now, when it says the Jews in this reference, it's not speaking of all Jews. You know, through the years, people have used that 
to bring forth anti-Semitic type responses. Whenever you see it kind of speaking oppositionally, it's speaking to the religious leaders of the day who are in opposition to Jesus, not speaking of the whole of Jewish people. Thank God. But in this moment, these people, they, they're, they're, they're asking him, what sign do you show for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had said. On the cross, Jesus said, literally, in the other two gospel, of Mark and Matthew, he said, destroy this body, and in three days it will rise. He's speaking that, that forth. Destroy this temple, rather, and in three days it will rise. It took 46 years to build that temple of Herod. In Solomon's time, the temple literally housed the presence of God. The temple was destroyed, was rebuilt by Zerubbabel, and it, housed the, it had no presence, the scripture will show you. The presence of God had departed. And it didn't come back, but it has, because Jesus has called you to be his temple. Do you have zeal for the house of the Lord? Do you have zeal for the house of the Lord? Does he have authority in our lives? Jesus was the new temple, and he chooses to reside within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the new temple in whom housed and was the presence of God in person. And so what Jesus was telling these people is you're looking at a physical thing. As a disciple, you're invited to have spiritual eyes. Don't look at what's physical here. There's something spiritual going on. So an invitation for the disciple is to have spiritual vision. See what's really going on in this situation right now. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all of them. In other words, you just are following because you're seeing the signs. It's not the sign that will keep you saved, amen? It's relationship that will cause you to walk after Jesus, and he knew it. But it does say that Jesus had entrusted himself to, 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 his, his follow, to those disciples. Earlier in the scripture, we saw that. So Jesus entrusted himself to people in greater measure who were desiring to grow in the relationship to him, that were desiring to follow him and to respond to his bidding, that's who began to be invited into this relationship. And so people who would accept the invitation into the amazing life of a disciple, there are these people, and you'll pick this up from everything I've said, there are people who would follow the bidding of the Lord. That's the amazing life of the disciple, when you begin to follow the bidding of the Lord. People who would pour. All I have is water. That's enough but they're people who would pour, people who would allow him to have his cleansing work in their life. Who, the, life of the, uh, the amazing life of the disciple, that, that's who we are. God, have, have your work in me. And guys, I'm, I'll, I'll be 50 this year. I'm not complete yet. There's times where, man, I go through some hard stuff, and I've got to get repentant. I've got to talk to friends. I've got to talk to my wife and get things squared up because I'm struggling with this or that. And a lot of times it's anger with church people. Those invited into the amazing life of the disciple are people who would begin to see things in life with spiritual eyes. Can you, with spiritual eyes, can you see what God is doing? Can you see water becoming wine? Can you see that? It's just water. Can you see a temple being cleansed for the purpose of the kingdom, a greater purpose, the purpose it was designed for? Can you see that, not with your physical eyes, but with your spiritual eyes? 
You're invited today to see with the eyes of a disciple, spiritual eyes. Can you see him, Jesus, doing that filling work in you? Pouring into your life a miracle. You're despondent and discouraged today, but can you see him pouring into your life? Yeah. Can you see him doing that cleansing work, removing in your life what stands in the way of your worship? Can you see that? Can you see him doing that kingdom work, calling you to be a servant, bringing about his work in the other people's lives? Can you see it? Because I can see it. I can see it. I can see, I can see a house of God that has spiritual eyes for the next generation. Spiritual eyes, not just for physical next generations, but for spiritual next generations. New believers that are here, that God's going to put calls on their life. I'm not saying to be a minister like me. I'm no, not, my position is not special. It's just what God told me to do. Ron Latrell was a plumber, and he has birthed as many, if not more, pastors out of his season of plumbing and mentoring boys than I've done in my life because he poured. That's what I'm saying. Calling you to be a servant to bring about his work in other people's lives. Can you see him doing that? Can you? As a church, can you dream about what that might look like if we all take part in that? And so I do want to challenge you. Man, think about our kids' ministry. Think about our youth ministry. Think about greeting at the door. Think about welcoming people on this campus. Think about being a part of a mission trip someday. Think about giving to missions and giving to, to tithe that continues the kingdom. Think about, dream a little bit of what water can look like in another person's life when it becomes wine. Let's pray. Jesus, in your name, I thank you for the invite to be your disciple. As Pastor Steve told me, live up to it. Lord, it's not just even as a pastor. Lord, as a disciple of yours, I want to live up to that great invitation, that invitation you've given for us to walk into an amazing life in partnership with you. In Jesus' name, give God some praise. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.